fish you through this COVID-19. And it's called, look up, look up, don't give up. So look up. You've all heard that phrase though, right? Well, how's things going? Well, things are looking up. Apart from when we were fishing yesterday, when we went fishing, there was nobody in the Motorhe Channel, the Rangitoto Channel. I think that's because everybody had forgotten to do their Christmas shopping. And so they were all at the malls because there was nobody on the water yesterday and for most of the day, uh, in the morning anyway. So what are things, what in the world does it mean to look up? Well, typically speaking, that means that the situation seems to be improving. That's the hope. And as Christmas rapidly approaches, I want to suggest to you a simple truth for this Christmas and for the new year. Circumstances, here it is, circumstances will start to look up when you start looking at God. Circumstances will start to look up when you start looking at God. Actually, in the Bible is a phrase that's used over and over many times, and it's typically found, here's a good example, um, Psalm 121. It says, lift, I will lift up my eyes. That's an old way of saying, look up. That's what it's saying here, look up. Now, for change, uh, very soon, many of us are going to have our Christmas holidays, and many Aucklanders will leave town. For those of you on the internet, in New Zealand, we move out of town over the, the holidays and we leave the city. And one of the things that we strangely do for a change is when we're away, especially if we're in a remote place like, say, Tairoa, you look up. And one of the things you see when you look up is a stunning display of God's handiwork, the Milky Way. It is so clear. We actually take time when we're on holiday to Look up, because at the rest of the time, our nose is down, and you know the rest of the saying. Now, look up is a way of saying, get your eyes off yourself. I will lift up my eyes to what? To the Lord. It's get your eyes off yourself and your problems and your circumstances, which are challenging. No dispute. We're going to see that. But I want you to get this first. Lay this platform down first. Look up. Get your eyes off yourself. Get them off your problems and your circumstances and look to God. Refocus is the message of the scripture on God. Because if you look down, you'll be depressed. If you look up, then your heart will be at rest. So, when King David looked up at night, I'm just going to lay this foundation down. In, for example, Psalm 8, he says this. Notice this on the screen. It's not in your notes. God, when I look up at that night sky and I see your handiwork, the moon and all of the stars that you set in place, I ask, what are we mortals that you should even bother with us? Why should you care about human beings? But you made us just a little lower than the angels. And you've given us glory and honor. And you put us in charge of everything that you made. Lord, you are amazing. So when we look up and we see how big God is, it naturally shrinks the size of my problems. They don't just seem to be as big anymore or as overwhelming. Actually, psychologists often will recommend if you're feeling a little low, Get out in nature. God's creation. Because it gets your eyes 
Get out of your room, get out of your house, get out of your normal environment and get into God's creation. And it has an effect of lifting you up. We know that. So again, psychologists even recognize that when people get out in God's creation, it can positively change and affect their perspective. Now, having said that, about 700 years B.C., before Christ came, before the very first Christmas, Isaiah, a very famous prophet in the Old Testament, announced that God would send his son to earth. And the prophet Isaiah predicted the coming of Jesus to earth and pointed out that a promised Savior would be born. And he'd be both this. It's almost juxtaposed. He'd be both great yet gentle, He'd be both amazingly powerful, but very personal. You got that? So look at the difference. He's great, but gentle. He's amazingly powerful to create all that, but he's very personal. Notice what he says, Isaiah 49 and 11. Shout this news from the mountaintops. Look, you get excited that you've got a new surfboard. You get excited that whatever it may be, new computer. But this is, he says, oh, shout this news. This is worth getting excited about from the mountaintops. Tell everyone, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in all of his glorious power. That's the greatness. You can see that there. But, look, here's the other part. But he will feed his flock like a tender shepherd and carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. Can you hear the tenderness? First, the greatness. Then the tenderness. He will lead us gently. The shepherd doesn't drive his sheep. But then Isaiah talks not just about God's gentleness, but also his greatness and enormous power. 12 and 15, he says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has the measure of the heavens with his fingers? Who knows enough to be God's teacher or counselor? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Of course not. Does he need instruction about what is good or what is best? No. For all the nations of the world are nothing in comparison to him. They are but a drop in the bucket, mere dust on the scales. He picks up islands as though they had no weight at all, and it's God who sits above the circle of the earth. By the way, just to, by the way, 700 years before uh, BC, the Bible told us the earth was a circle. It's no flat plane or anything else like that too. Now, Isaiah gets personal now, and he applies the coming of the Messiah and the Savior to our lives today in verses 26 through 31. He says this, so look up, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He made each one of them, calling each by its name. And he counts each one to see that none is missing. Do you know how many stars are around in the universe? God has numbered and named them all. So how can you say, he goes on, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? That's like, hey, how can you say that? How can you say that God doesn't care about what happens to me? Some of you have asked that recently. Do you know that the Lord is the Lord God? He never grows tired and weary, and He knows 
and understands everything. He gives strength to those who are tired and worn out. Some of you have felt worn out this year. He offers powers to the weak. Some of you are feeling not that strong. Even young people become exhausted and want to give up. You may want to circle that one. But those who put their hope in the Lord will find new strength. This is new, stuff you didn't have before, from God. And they will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll sustain, in other words. They will keep on walking without fainting and giving up, as he's just said up there. Now, I don't know what problems exactly you are facing or burdens you are bearing this Christmas. But I do know this. You need to look up instead of giving up. You need to look up instead of giving up. Don't give up. Look up. No matter what you're facing right now, you can do the same things that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men did. And we're going to look at that today. When they felt absolutely overwhelmed at the very first Christmas. I mentioned last week, there's a commercialized version of Christmas which is promulgated through every media channel you can imagine. But it has been idealized, it has been romanticized, and it's created this picture in our minds how everything was just sweet and non-stressful and copacetic leading up to Jesus' birth. That, my friends, is not reality. Not reality. For those involved in that first Christmas, it's delusional. The facts do not support it. The first Christmas didn't start out being a very Merry Christmas at all. Did you know that? It wasn't Merry Christmas. It was a major drama Christmas. The truth is, everybody involved in the first Christmas story was very stressed out by this news. That's the truth. First, how did Mary initially react? The news that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. Well, the Bible tells us what happened when the first angel appeared. And all she could think about are the questions. Questions, questions, questions. What the heck am I supposed to tell my mother? That's a reasonable question. And, oh, by the way, what am I supposed to tell Joseph? My friends, how are they going to ever believe me? That was pressure. Feel that. So Mary's initial reaction was she was confused and she was worried. That's the reality that the scriptures support. Luke 1.29 says this. Confused and deeply disturbed. That's deeply, not just I'll blow it off. It says, holy moly, I'm in trouble. Mary tried to think of what the angel's words might possibly mean. It's just whirling over in her mind. By the way, when it says confused there, let me just add a bit more weight to what that means. Because Greek has, it's, it's a language which has got lots of color. It means perplexed, anxious. It means completely shaken. Completely shaken. This is Mary. Completely shaken. How about Joseph? Well, the Bible tells us that when Mary explained that she was pregnant, but she had not been unfaithful, well, that was a claim to Joseph, and that she was still a virgin, 
and that God was the father of the day, Joseph's reaction was hurt. What the heck? And he was broken hearted. I get that. Do you? The person you betrothed yourself to is telling you she's pregnant? And God is going to be the baby? So I can understand how he would naturally assume that she had been unfaithful. Man, that was no Christmas present. That hurt. Think about that if it was you. Would you believe that story if your fiancé told you that? You know, Joseph felt betrayed. Did start to make plans and things like that. He felt lied to. He, said, he can't be telling me the truth. It's impossible. He felt like a fool, you idiot. She's been two-timing. He felt embarrassed. What's he going to tell his mates? These are real feelings that we blow off. Maybe you felt some of those things. Yeah, what are you going to say to your mates? Well, my girlfriend, my fiancé actually, is pregnant. But we haven't had a relationship, no sex. And by the way, she's claiming the father's God. What the heck are you thinking, Joseph? They'd probably say, that's a very hard sell for the best salesman on the planet. Right? Whoever you are. He's going to be deeply hurt, very disappointed, but he wants to protect her dignity. So this man is a man of character. So just because you're a man of character doesn't mean to say you're not going to be disappointed. Doesn't mean to say you're not going to be distressed in your life. So he wants to be done with me quietly and quickly, but the Bible tells us this. Here it is. Here are the facts. Matthew 1.19, Joseph decided he'd made the decision. He's going to break it off. To break off the engagement quietly so as to not disgrace her. That's the sort of guy he was. So Mary's confused and troubled, but Joseph, on the other hand, is both hurt and he's brokenhearted. How about the shepherds? How did the shepherds initially react to the news of the first Christmas? The Bible tells us exactly how they felt. Here it is, Luke 2 8. That night, there were the shepherds out in the field nearby, watching over their flock. Suddenly, the night sky lit up, and an angel of the Lord appeared. And God's bright glory, this isn't done in a corner, bright glory blazed all around them, and they were, get this, what were they? Terrified. This is like, whoa, <laughs> panic stations. For them, it probably looked like some alien had just descended. <laughs> they had no clue. It's going to freak them out. So terrified is a very good word. So the shepherds were scared to death. That's what the scriptures tell us. These are facts. Most of the carols or most of the colloquial story doesn't even mention this fact. I mean, this is terrified. And these guys are used to being out in the boonies at night, pitch black, apart from the skies. So they were not having a Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> they were scared to death. <laughs> they were sweating bullets. <laughs> and I can get that. I get why they're sweating bullets. What about the wise men? These are the last guys in the story. Matthew 2, 1 tells us this account. Now, after Jesus was born, some wise men traveled a long way from the east and finally <laughs> arrived in Jerusalem. Now, these men traveled thousands of hard miles. There's no easy miles on a camel. This is not one of 
Calvin's beautifully appointed cars. This is a rough and tough. You think a Jeep's rough? You try traveling on a camel thousands of miles and let's have a conversation after that. That was not easy. No, I want to suggest that when these guys arrived to see the king of the Jews, these guys were exhausted. The wise men were exhausted when they finally reached their destination. And like so many of them have taken this arduous journey, they probably wandered along the way. I'm sure they did. It's kind of like the kids. Are we there yet? <laughs> How long do we need to keep going on this one? You know, will this all be worth it? Maybe we should, maybe we got this wrong. Maybe we should turn back. I'm sure. I'd love to hear one day what those conversations were on the way over there. So to summarize, let's wrap this part, this, this first part up. To summarize, at the first Christmas, the truth is, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the wise men, they're all either confused, worried, hurt, brokenhearted, fearful, scared, or exhausted. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you see what's going on? This is the reality of what was going on. And by the way, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt confused or worried or anxious, fearful, scared or exhausted? Well, 2,000 years later, I'm sure that some of you that are here today or listening online are familiar with some of these emotions. You've felt this before. Now, if so, if you've actually felt those things, what is a practical application. What does Christmas have to say to you today? Well, up the top, here's the, um, the key. There's less confusion and more clarity. There'll be less stress and more peace. There's more, the, the key to healing your hurt and your broken heart and to replacing your fears with confidence and replenishing your exhausted soul. What is the key to do that? Well, you do what these people did. You've just, you've just heard how they felt, what they were going through. Now, let's take a look at what they did to resolve those issues. And here's the big idea. Here it is. When their focus changed, their feelings changed. Don't miss that big idea. When their focus changed, their feelings changed. And you're going to see evidence of this now. When I look up, things will start to look up. So everything changed for Mary when she focused on God's promises. That's what happened. At first, Mary wasn't focused on God's promise. She was focused on all the newly emerging issues in her life. That's what she was focused on initially, remember? The unplanned pregnancy. The impossible situation for a young woman who was pregnant without a husband. And the position that this put her in, that was not comfortable, friends. Some of you right now are not in a comfortable position. And God is speaking to you today through his word. Mary had to deal with gossip and the loss of status and the rumors and the likely rejection of her by her own fiancé and her own even family. So she was initially, over here, remember, focused on all of the bad news. That's where she was, and we get that. But then, Mary looked up, and she turned her focus specifically for her, which is different to the rest of them, on the promises of God. And she began to see that this was not the end of the story, but it was the beginning of a much greater story beyond her wildest imagination that God had chosen her to be part of. Luke 
the angel told Mary, nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, here's the words. You may want to circle us. I see it all now. See, she's changing her focus. I see it all now. She's looking at it from a different perspective. So let it be with me just as you say. She says, I'm ready to serve. I am the Lord's maid, or handmaid in some versions say, ready to serve. So in the middle of a disaster, she says, no, no, I'm now, I see the bigger picture, and I'm now ready to serve. When Mary's focus changed, it changed her feelings. She went from panic over here and suspicion and all things like that to now serving. It changed her feelings. Her feelings changed from confusion to celebration. That's a better way to say it. Her feelings changed from confusion to celebration. Luke 1. She prays now the most amazing prayer of thanksgiving. She's not moaning. She's not whining. But after what seemed to be a bad news, and she had a lot of that, what she thought, notice... She's full of scriptures that she'd obviously memorized. She was a woman of the word. Mary was. And she refocused on the promises of God when the, when the chips are down. Luke 148 is part of that prayer. But just Mary says this. Look how her attitude changed. God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done in me will never be forgotten. Is that a change of attitude Yes, it is, because she changed her focus. Looks like Mary's changed attitude didn't just affect her, though. See, sometimes negativity is, or in fact, most of the time, negativity is contagious, and it'll start to rub off on people around you. Look what happened to Mary, though, when she had a change of attitude. It actually changed the attitude of people around her. Here it is, Luke 158, and it says this, Her neighbors and her relatives, seeing that God had overwhelmed her with mercy, here they are, celebrated with her. Whoa! So normally her neighbors and friends would have been, whoa! But no, no, the scriptures tell us here she had a change of focus and then her relatives celebrate with her. That's great. Clearly, she had gone from confusion to celebration. That's the first transition. Confusion to celebration. What about Joseph? Everything changed for Joseph when he looked up and stopped focusing on his pain and focused on God's plan. When he looked up and he stopped focusing on his pain and focused instead on God's plan. So Joseph, of course, naturally felt hurt and brokenhearted because he's focusing on his own feelings. I get that. Of being betrayed. I get that. It's got a way of getting you by the nose, that stuff. But he couldn't see any other solution except for his plan to quietly break off the engagement. And maybe right now you're in a situation where you cannot see any other way out to get out of the situation. But Joseph's plans changed dramatically when his focus changed. And in a dream, he looks up in this dream and he sees an angel who reveals God's plan. Notice next, Matthew 1.20. As Joseph laid on his bed considering. So I like this. He's considering. He's thinking. He's not just reacting, he's considering, weighing it up, not rash Harry. Sorry, Harry. <laughs> As Joseph lay in his bed, considering what he might do, he fell into a dream and saw an angel standing beside him. He looks up at the angel and says, Joseph, son of David, don't 
hesitate to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her really has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now that changed everything. Now he's going to focus on God's plan and not his pain. See? Everything changed next for the shepherds when they looked up. The shepherds had naturally been focused. Their job was to protect the sheep from thieves and from wolves. That was their job. They had no other focus. That's it. That's your responsibility. But when the angel put on a light show like they'd never seen before. Remember the closest thing they've had before was like a candle? <laughs> you get something from this angel. Whoa. They put in the light show in the sky and it was bright and it was brilliant. But the result was it scared them to death because they hadn't seen anything like that before. Luke 2.10. Let's pick it up. The angel said, do not be afraid. And by the way, the angel said that to Mary and to Joseph as well. It says, to you this Christmas, that's what he's saying to you, do not be afraid this Christmas. Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. Not a little bit, great joy, which will be for all the people. Not just for Christians, but for all people. Do you notice that? The good news is for all people. That's why it's a wonderful blessing for our little kids today to go there with their teachers and minister the good news and share it with other people who are the other end of their lives. Because soon it's over for every one of us in this room. This week, four friends of mine, it was over. This week, some of them are my age. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Who do you need to share that good news with? Not just for Christians. Today, in the town of David, a saviour, a saviour, a saviour has been born for you. This is very personal. He's not far off. He is Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And this is what you're to look for. Go look. Go seek. Seek and you'll find. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Then a very large group of angels from heaven joined with the first angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to all whom God favors. It totally changed from being petrified. It changes their focus. The next verse tells us in Luke 2, 13 through 16, Then the shepherds said to each other, Let's go. I like that. Let's go. There was a Wah! We're supposed to be here, but tough luck. We're off here. Well, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. See for ourselves this wonderful thing that's happened. They figured out it's very wonderful to be a savior, which the Lord has told. So they ran. I like that. They ran. There was energy and enthusiasm for the things of God. They ran to the village. Flat stick. Kind of like Peter and the boys and John when they ran to the tomb. There was, whoa, let's go. They're not strolling along and ambling. They're running and they found Mary and Joseph, the Bible says, and there was a baby lying in the manger. So notice something here. They are no longer afraid. They were back here, understand. But now, they're not afraid anymore, right? Something's changed. 
They're now courageous, and they boldly start telling everyone else they come into contact with. Luke 2, 17, and verse also 20. After they, this is the shepherds, they'd seen Jesus. They, what did they do? Went back to their sheep and did nothing? No. First thing it says, they spread the word. What are they spreading? They're spreading the word to everybody about this child. They are bold. They're telling everybody about this. And then the shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, singing and praising God for what the angels had told them because they had seen the child. So what they had seen focused their entire attitude, and it changed it. What started out as panic over here, remember? They were panicking over here. Now, what are they doing? They are praising. There's been a change from panic to praise. How does that happen? And then what about the wise men, finally? Everything changed for the wise men when they met Jesus. The wise men have been looking up all along as they followed the star to find him. Now, if they hadn't been looking up, they would never have followed, been able to follow the star. They've been looking at the mud. And that led them to Jerusalem and then a meeting with King Herod, which, who was a nasty piece of work. Nine, Matthew 2, verse 9 through 10 says this. After leaving King Herod, then the star appeared to them, again guiding them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And now that is a change in attitude. And when they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. So they bowed down and they worshipped him together. Excuse me, and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And each of those which I've mentioned previously were symbols of what Jesus Christ would do in his death, his life, in his death, and his resurrection. Now here's what I want to point out to you. All of the fatigue and all of their tiredness and all of their exhaustion from months of hard travel and all of the aches and the pains, and I'm sure they had some of those, and the sorenesses from sitting on a camel for months going across a hot, dry desert, it all evaporated. It all changed the moment they focused on Jesus and met him personally. Now let me ask you this. How do you know when you've really met Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about knowing about him, but actually knowing him. How do you know when you've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? Well, I'll tell you what will happen is you will start to change. If you've really met Christ personally, you may have the similar reactions to these four, uh, these four reactions that the wise men had. Firstly, if you've really met Jesus Christ, you will feel humbled by his presence. You won't take it casually. You will bow down. And here's what I found. You'll lose all sense of ego and self-importance and narcissism. Second, I notice what happened here. You'll express, remember these are magi. That all goes out the window. Who cares? 
There's no status in this. When you meet Jesus, all of that goes. Second, you express your gratitude and love when you really meet him. That's called worship. One of the first commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So they bowed and worshipped. The scriptures tell us that. Worship means simply this, expressing my love to God. And third, you open up to him everything that you hold dear, even the very breath of life that you have, and you say, Lord, here I am, a living sacrifice. Use me to build your kingdom, your eternal family, which is the only thing that will ever matter. Fourth, you want to give him, if you know him, the best. Not the leftovers, the best of what you've got, of your time. You give him your time. Not out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of guilt, not out of a sense of pressure, but out of a gratitude of love, you give him what you've got, your life. Now, friends, I want you to notice this, that Jesus Christ offers you this Christmas the gift of a son. No one is omitted and no one is neglected. When we look up, it changes us. It changes the attitude of our hearts. It changes us from the inside out. It's not externally imposed. And it, when we look up, Jesus frees his people from their burdens. Burdens of confusion. Burdens of depression. Burdens of uncertainty and burdens of fear. The problem is we're often looking for solutions in the wrong place. If I get this position, if I get this person, nobody will ever love you like Jesus does. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Notice what he says here. This is Jesus. He says, if you are tired from carrying heavy burdens, come to me. I will give you rest. Take the yoke that I give you and put it on your shoulders and learn from me. Learn from his life. Learn from what he counted was important. Forget what the world tells you. What the world tells you is important is by and large absolutely the opposite to what Jesus will tell you is important. That's a good rule. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll hate the world. And if you hate the world, you don't love me. He was pretty clear. I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest. So if you're tired, you'll find rest, not just in having a sleep, that helps, but you'll find out the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, to keep going, you need rest for your soul. And he's the only one that can provide that. Trinkets and second class causes will never substitute for a savior. This yoke is easy to bear, and it's burden is light. These words are his great call there, the ones we've just read there on the screen, to all who become worn out as a result of spending their lives under the heavy burden of either sin or sin's consequences. Now the rest that Jesus gives is eternal life. That's what it is. That rest that it gives us is eternal life. That's, that's what it equals. And it brings with it love and peace with God. So this is his invitation to you this Christmas. To follow him, 
and those who follow Jesus will find. Here's what you will find. One, freedom from guilt over sin. That was a big one. It lifts that load. Second, deliverance from fear and despair. And thirdly, the promised continuance, help, strength, and guidance of the Holy Spirit, which you can get nowhere else in the world apart from him. Because he says, I must go that he may come. The Holy Spirit is a strength to get you to the end. He's your empower, your counselor, your encourager. The promise of continued help. To change by ourselves is hard. But with the Holy Spirit's help, he can make all things work together for good. What a stunning gift. Luke 2.11, last verse on your outline. For today, in the city of David... There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Father, this Christmas, would you help us look up, not to give up? Thank you that when we look up, our focus inimitably changes. Would you help us focus on your promises, which are always yea and amen? Would you help us focus on your plan and not our pain, or even our own plan? Thank you for sending Jesus Christ at Christmas to be my Savior. Now, some here today may want to accept that gift that Jesus offers you. And if you pray in your heart along with me, I'd encourage you to do that today. Just pray along with, you, with me in your mind and just say, Father, I'm grateful to accept your gift of salvation knowing that you died on the cross for me and that I, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, as that verse says. Please forgive me for my sins and accept me into your family. Today, Lord, I want to learn to love you and to trust you and to follow you for the rest of my life on earth. And then I want to join you in heaven forever. Amen. Now, if you really meant this, whether you're here with us today in, in the physical or online. What I want you to do is to tell you this, that you just stepped across the line spiritually and you experienced salvation if you genuinely meant that prayer. Because the Bible says in Acts 2.21, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So my question to you is, did you call upon the name of the Lord? If you did, he heard you. And if you genuinely meant what you just prayed and you called upon the name of the Lord, God says, whoever does that will be saved. I'm going to ask everybody to just take out the moment that communication card as we get ready to drop it in the offering bucket. And that's for our members, only for our members who give an offering. And today I want you to notice something about that card on that communication card. 
If you just prayed that prayer, on the back of it, there's a box. I want you to check it. It says, I'm committing my life to Christ. Would you check that box? And then it will be our pleasure to send you some material to help you understand your decision. And it'll help get you started on your spiritual journey. I'll be glad to send that to you this week. So if you check that box, and if you prayed that prayer, drop it in the basket and as our members give their offering in the communication card. And if you're online, just email us at info at newhope.net.nz and we'll be glad to send you the same material through the email. So Merry Christmas, New Hope. And as we give our offering to express our gratitude to God, let's sing Build My Life. Thank you. <laughs>